Well, good morning, saints. And good morning, sinners. <laughs> we are simultaneously saint and sinner. Martin Luther gave us that. Simul Justus et Peccator. We are overwhelmed to be here today. I have admired your church for decades, ever since the first day I met Dr. Winfred Moore in the mid-1980s. Dr. Batson told me that the only dilemma in coming to First Baptist Amarillo is that you will not want to leave. And it's because of you. It is because of the people. Your pastor and I began graduate studies at Baylor University in 1988. My admiration and respect for your pastor only grows deeper through the years. He is the finest example of a Baptist statesman that I know. We grew to love Reverend Dan Baker when you blessed both of them to come to First Baptist Church Easley, where I pastor. They came almost nine years ago and led us in revival. We shall never forget that sweet, holy time that we experienced as these two men of God led us to God's throne room. Donna, my wife, Joshua, our son, and Alexa, our daughter in love, are beyond blessed and consider this a beautiful opportunity and gift from God. It really is so great to be here. And growing up, the name of Dr. Howie Batson was quite legendary in our home. Uh, Joshua, look what Howie's doing. Look what Howie's building. Uh, look what he's reading. And I'd see that red newsletter come in the mail, and I knew exactly what it was about. So you might not know us, but we know you, and we have a lot of respect for you. And it's, it's an honor to be here today. Today we're going to be talking about a tender providence. We see banks fail, our economy unstable, our politics far from civil, and it's easy to wonder, is God still in control? We're going to look at that question through a story I'm sure you've heard, and another story, our story, one I'm confident that you haven't. So today will be in Exodus 2, verses 1 through 10. If you'd open your Bibles, we'll begin in verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch. Then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens walking alongside and she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid, and she brought it to her. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the boy was crying, and she had pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. 
the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses and said, because I drew him out of the water. There's a lot to unpack here, and I want the expert to do it. So, Dad, could you walk us through the story? Okay, does everyone have your Bible? Hold it up if you do. This is the Word of God. Fifteen minutes in the Word of God can transform your life. It was a few years ago that I was studying this passage, and I realized our story is all in this story. And we always try to place our life in God's story. Okay, it was tough times. Sound familiar? A rough king. His name, Pharaoh. He has it out for the Hebrew people. In fact, he tried to get two of the midwives of the Hebrew people to practice late-term abortion. When that did not work, he declared all-out infanticide against every newborn baby boy. He said, take these boys and throw them into the Nile River. Now, chapter 2, enter Amram and Jochebed. They are blessed with a child. Can you imagine the joy that they had and the intense fear wrapped up in one experience? They protect that precious child for three months, and then the mother has to set that child free in a little boat, an ark made of papyrus on the Nile River. And it makes its way to Pharaoh's daughter. So, Jochebed, biological mother, Pharaoh's daughter, adoptive mother. And through God's tender providence, Pharaoh said, throw the boys into the water, and it was Pharaoh's daughter who drew him out. Of the water. Now, in the study of the Bible, we come across this phrase, the providence of God. It's a term that says God has a plan and a purpose for you, and He's working it out through you for His glory. Even though we cannot discern what He is up to at any time. So, this story oozes with God's providence. God's name does not appear anywhere in Genesis, Exodus 2, 1 through 10. But it's all over that story. But it's also a messy story. Theirs was messy, yours is messy, and ours is messy. Yet, God can take a terrible situation. And God can use unlikely people like you and me to do something marvelous like he did with Moses. If you're like me, I've, I've heard this story a hundred times, probably dating back to children's church. Um, it's the age old story, Moses in the basket floating down the Nile. But then I dug a little deeper. And dad, I love that you, you said it oozes with providence because it's messy, but I think that word captures it. We read that Moses came from an uncertain beginning. And it reminded me of my own story. And I'm willing to bet that each of us can identify with this in some way. So Joshua, could you help us a few moments and show the parallels between 
your story and this story? Where does it all begin for you? Well, I'm adopted. I've always known it. And before I even understood what that word meant, you and, and mom would talk to me about being twice adopted, how I was chosen by God and chosen by you. I loved it. This has always been my reality. And ours, it was a closed adoption. And from the little bit of intel that we had and the little digging that I've done over the years, I only knew the basics. The family of my birth parents wanted the best for me. They wanted to keep me, but they really wanted what was in my best interest, even more than that. They were heroes for how they advocated for me. My story was positive. It was one of God's grace, God's love. Two years ago, exactly, almost exactly to the day, um, I received a message that changed everything. After completing Ancestry DNA while in college with no real leads, I got a message one average Tuesday morning, and at the top, it simply had one word, Father. The name above that was Trip, and that's the name I've only heard in reference to, to one person, my birth father. You remember that day? Do I remember? It was a Tuesday morning. I was preparing for staff meeting. Joshua called, and he said, is mom there? I said, yes, go get mom. And then he said, guess what? I received a message from Trip." Silence. We knew only one person by that name. One person. The day had come, that hour, that moment, his birth father had reached out to our son. And I felt like I'd been waiting on that moment for years, but now that it had finally come, I wasn't quite ready. Um, you see, we knew a little bit about Donna, my birth mother, but we knew nothing about Trip the birth father. And now I was faced with the opportunity to meet both of them. So here's a bit of my first message to Trip. All day I have been speechless. This was the last message I was expecting this morning. I've tried to do some research over the past few years, but I have actually had no idea who you were. I wanted to know more, but I did not want to rush anything if either of you were not ready or if the timing was not right. I can only imagine the baggage you carry from the decision you made over 23 years ago. I have been so blessed with my upbringing and by the love of my parents. If it gives you any comfort, know that I have never doubted their love or commitment to me. I have been blessed far beyond what I think I deserve. I know you made the right decision, and I hope that brings a smile to your face. Well, the Ancestry DNA messages led to emails, and my birth father gave me the email um, to my birth mother. And I reached out and shared a message I'd been writing on and off for years. I've been thinking about and preparing for this day for my whole life. These are, these are my words to Donna, my birth mother. I have known that I wanted to reach out to you, but until now, I have not felt that the timing was quite right. More than anything, I want to thank you. As I think about the decision you made 23 years ago, tears come to my eyes. I want you to know that you made the right decision. My mom and dad are the most selfless and loving people that I know. Growing up, they encouraged me to think big and chase my dreams. They told me that I could make a difference. They helped me up each time I fell, encouraged me every day, and guided me to trust God through the challenges of life. The person I am today is because of them. 
before I even understood what the word meant, my parents were telling me about the gift of adoption that was made possible by you. I would not change one thing. Your incredible love has forever shaped my life. Well, in time after this, we were texting, talking on the phone. We even virtually met over a Zoom call. And in time, Alexa, me, and my parents, um, we all met my birth parents and their families in person. It's been a roller coaster. Beautiful, inspiring, messy, challenging. And since March of 2021, I've spent the past two years reconciling the reality of my story with the story that I'd imagined in my head. And it's been something I've had to wrestle with because it's two very different realities. And I think each of us here today can relate to the messiness of life. No one has a perfect story, whether we like to admit it or not. Well, Joshua, as we've walked through our journey of adoption, here's what we've noticed. I think you would agree that when we were at our highest, the birth parents were at their lowest. But through it all, there has been a tender providence. Yeah. I was born to a 16-year-old high school student, also Adana, the same name as my mom. Unplanned, unexpected. I was even unknown to my birth mother's parents until her water broke. Don't ask me how that worked. 16-year-olds <laughs> are supposed to be considering who to go to prom with, not whether to end their pregnancy or hold out. She was overwhelmed. She was confused. I was not her plan. And when Donna and my birth father, Tripp, found out about the pregnancy, there was really, to them, only one reasonable option, and that was abortion. But you see, Donna was 16, so they needed a fake ID, and they needed money for the procedure. So Tripp, my birth father, he sold his Z28 Camaro, I'm told it even had red and black leather interior to raise the money for the procedure. That was the plan. Until one night, Donna went to her church, and a girl was speaking who had done the exact same thing that Donna soon planned to do. And in that moment, her heart was changed. She just couldn't do it. Tripp, on the other hand, he used all that money to buy a guitar, so at least that paid off. Uh, <laughs> but then weeks later, other mentors in Donna's life pushed her to consider a late-term abortion. They told her that this would derail her life. They checked with the health department in every single U.S. state, only to find out that they were days past the deadline for the procedure. While all of this was going on, at the exact same time, my parents had been praying for a child for years. And when every door seemed to close, they chose to see faith over the grim reality. I think you can see why for Donna, my wife, and I, abortion is not a political issue. It is a very personal issue. It's personal. Our son is a miracle. A church much like this church saved our son's life. Don't you ever doubt the life-transforming possibility when God's people gather and worship and seek his face. 
Meanwhile, Donna and I had been wanting a child for over 14 years, 14 long years. Over time, Donna slowly and tenderly raised the possibility of adoption to me. But I was resistant. I wanted our child. And then, through a tender providence, a precious baby girl was born in our church. Her name was Erin. Her parents asked us to be godparents. They opened wide their arms and their child to us. She became like a daughter. God was changing my perspective. Could there be a love as deep or deeper than blood? My heart opened wide to adoption, and we began our home study in February of 1997. A year later, at my wife's prompting, we called upon our church to pray for us at the conclusion of the morning worship service. That prayer time is forever etched in our hearts, forever. A church praying, unbeknownst to us, the birth mother went into labor the day after our church prayed. And within a few days, we received a precious call that a beautiful birth mother who was nearing childbirth was also considering adoption. Our hearts had been broken time and time again with false leads. But this time, this seemed for real. Joshua was born on February the 24th, 1998. He was 10 weeks premature and weighed a whopping three and a half pounds. And we received the announcement of his birth the very next day. We alerted our church and Joshua became everybody's son, a dream becoming reality. We soon prepared for our son. It was in warp speed, but then another call came. The birth mother was reconsidering. Hurt, scared, fearful, we once again called upon our church to pray at the conclusion of a morning worship service. We told them that we needed some time away to grieve. We were confused. I mean, how do you pray? There were precious birth parents who were hurting. We could only fathom how much their parents were hurting, and we were hurting too. How do you pray? And before we could get away, our church secretary contrived a story to keep us in town because unbeknownst to us, the adoption was on again. Our lawyer and secretary did not want us out of town with this as a possibility, but they didn't want to tell us unless the birth parents changed their minds again. But during that delay of a few hours, we opted for hope, and we bought a baby rocker. We decided to embrace hope, and by the end of that day, our lawyer called, and when Donna heard her voice, she wept. She said, congratulations, mama and daddy. Joshua, I've got a word to say to you about your mama. Watching my wife become your mama has given me a sign of Christ's love for us. Ask her, 
Ask her why she was put on this earth, and she would tell you she's been put on this earth to be your mother. You're the greatest gift, son, we've ever had as a couple. And as you know, at the prompting of my mentor, Dr. Miller, who's now with the Lord, <laughs> he asked us to start a journal. And we wrote about you, or Donna did, one year before we met you. And for the first 16 years of his life, she kept a journal. And son, as we're writing our book, which I hope someday will be published, I'm having a hard time going, getting going. Because every time I read your mom's journal, I well up. These journals, they ooze with love. They ooze with joy. Go ahead. Call her up here right now. Ask her about a date in your life. And she has it on the tip of her tongue. No. She has it in the bottom of her heart. Because of that love for you and my love for you. I love y'all. I'm so blessed. And the part... I want to highlight of, of what you just said is at the moment, through 14 years of waiting, their faith made no sense. Somehow, my parents believed that God could do it. They trusted that his plan was greater than their own. Honestly, I can't imagine having that perspective after years and years of waiting. It's almost as crazy as putting your baby in a basket on the Nile. It's their boldness and faith that reminded me of Moses' mom, Jochebed. She kept Moses from the Egyptian authorities for three months. You know she had to fear every day what would happen, what could happen. Eventually, when she couldn't conceal him any longer, she waterproofed a basket and put him in the Nile, handed over her baby, the baby who shouldn't have been alive in the first place. She had to trust God. It's a divine handoff of sorts. My mom and dad bought a rocker with no baby to rock. That's faith. It's a letting go. So let's fast forward a few years to the time when we first met Joshua's birth parents. Joshua, you have allowed us to walk with you throughout every aspect of this adoption. I remember after Trip called that next weekend you came home and I saw you on three occasions put your arm around your mama and say, let's get one thing straight. You're my mama and you'll always be my mama. We knew that you were God's gift to us to shepherd and to steward and then to set you free in a world as God's change agent. I remember calling Dr. Miller and his wife Frankie and saying, we're meeting the birth parents tomorrow, the birth mother. Would you pray with us? He was in Maine. We were at Myrtle Beach and we all prayed, each one of us, before we met the birth parents. When we entered her home, I witnessed your mama Donna, and your birth mother, Donna. I witnessed them embracing, and I worship God. One gave you birth, and the other gave you life. I had longed to tell his birth mother two things, two affirmations. Number one, thank you for going full term. And number two, meet the woman that knows your son, your biological son, inside and out. Yes, thank you. You considered abortion. 
but you chose life. And then when we met Tripp, the same feeling of gratitude overwhelmed me. It was his birthday of all days, and we celebrated with him in our home in Easley, South Carolina. We thanked him for choosing life, and you know what he said? You know we were planning for an abortion. And then I said, but you didn't. There had been a tender providence even when we didn't realize it and they didn't realize it. Oh, Joshua, we watch Tripp and you interact. You have his sense of humor and you both love music. And when I saw you on the piano playing dual piano and you were playing Stand By Me, that grabbed me. It overwhelmed me. I tell you, our family is larger, it's more messy, yet it's more beautiful. Only God, his tender providence. And to this day, I, I look at you both and I feel so blessed, but I realize that we have this gift now. It's the gift of perspective. Yes. And growing up, I think of so many moments that I was blessed with from jumping around with mom in the living room, celebrating an accomplishment, or her patiently sitting there as I rolled around in the floor at an attempt of studying. Um, she'd even sit by my bed and seeing God is so good as she touched my nose. Or I think of you, Dad, and going to McDonald's to get the hotcakes breakfast on a Saturday. Think of bike rides, waking up to a hot omelet in high school, even when I, I was not a morning person. You would show me grace and we'd read the Bible together. Or I think you coming to sporting events, standing on the sidelines, even if that meant coming from an event before and being in a full suit, you'd be there. Time and again, whether I was at the hospital or in graduation, they were there. They were there when I got my one referral in sixth grade and they were there when I got married to my wife, Alexa. And right now, we're so blessed with the gift of perspective, but not everyone is able to look back and see it and, and have that same gift. That's absolutely correct. So many of us are living with faith and not seeing the outcome. But what I'm seeing as I study the Bible and as I live, there's a, a, a tender providence. God is working things out even when we don't see it. I think it was you, Joshua, who gave me this definition of providence. It's the weaving of natural events for a supernatural purpose. I love that. It's easy to step back and say, wow, that was God. Look at God. Can he do it? And he can. And we can throw all these churchy sayings at it, and they aren't inherently wrong or bad, but they might not capture the full story. The story in Exodus doesn't include sleepless nights where Jochebed wondered if she'd made the right decision. It doesn't include the pain of watching her child grow up in another home. And there's a little more to my story, too, that I haven't told you. Donna, my birth mother, she faced depression after she handed me over. She specifically talked about the emptiness, pain, and brokenness she felt afterward when one of her friends at college talked about the resentment that they had toward their biological parents. She just knew that I would feel the exact same way. For years, she prayed I'd find a wife. She prayed I'd be happy, but she just didn't know. But God wasn't done. 
and he's not done with you either. And then there's Trip, my birth father. He lived with the reality of missing a fatherly influence. His dad walked out when he was five. And in giving me up for adoption, he felt like he blew the single opportunity he had to be a father. And since the adoption process, he's long felt judged and ridiculed by people just like us, church people. For years, I'd known the good side of my story. And now I was faced with the part that wasn't as pretty. And in the wake of this, I found myself struggling with anxiety, overcome by the weight and the rush of everything I was coming to terms with. It hasn't been black and white of all good, all bad. There's a lot of living that happens in the struggle of the gray area. And through counselors and family and friends, I'm still learning and still growing through this. But our family has been able to open up to both families. We've met half siblings, aunts, uncles, grandparents, and even more. And I was able to look at both of my biological parents in their eyes and say, you made the right decision. God knew exactly what he was doing, even in the mess. I'll never forget when Donna, my birth mother, met my mom, Donna, and we were sitting across the kitchen table and she said, you were meant to be his mom. I was the vessel to get him here. Wow, even with all the pain. As a 16-year-old mother, she could only take me so far. And Jacobet was the same way. She was a repressed Hebrew. She was a slave. Moses was raised in Pharaoh's house. I'm not saying I was raised in royalty, but our home was in the top 1% of love per capita. <laughs> but it's such a good reminder to remember that even in your limitations, God's working. Even in your mistakes, God's working. That's the tender providence that we're talking about today. That's God. So, Joshua, what would you say to those present today who may have given up their children for adoption or maybe even had an abortion? What would you say to them? God is not surprised by your mess. You are not a mistake. Even in your best and your darkest moments, his love is consistent. It's unwavering. We read in Ephesians that he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. There's grace that covers you. And I think there's a word of comfort in this. If you're a parent, you have a responsibility, but you're not the end all be all. You can't carry the weight of the world. There's this beautiful partnership between you and between God. Moses' mom, Jochebed, realized that she could not be the one to raise Moses. Israelite boys were destined to be killed. So she took this handoff in faith. She did what she had to do. All parents have experienced, I think, a similar handoff. At three months old, your baby's relying on you for everything. And then at 35, I hope they can do some things on their own. It's time for them to learn how to cook and do things for themselves. Uh, Alexa and I got married a few years ago, and my mom and mother-in-law, we love them so much, but they didn't come on our honeymoon. They knew that uh, they had raised us, and they had to let go. They had to trust God. In Romans, Paul writes that we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. God guided Moses' parents, the flow of the Nile, Moses' cry, 
and the heart of Pharaoh's daughter at just the right time, all for his plan. He sent a mentor at the right time, all things. My story, I wasn't planned. My birth father sold his car, but Donna walked into a church just like this, and she heard a different story. They were the DNA, and they might not have planned for me, but God did all things. Because of what started when she was 16 with my birth, my birth mother and her husband have now had another biological son. And over the past 25 years, they've fostered over 20 kids. And now they've even adopted two of those as their own. Yeah, yeah. All things. Yes. Paul didn't write that things work together for my good or what I want, but for the good of those who love God and have been called according to his purpose. Don't underestimate the hand of God yes. in your life. You can't do it all, and that's okay. There are some parents and families here who only made it by partnering with God. You may feel like you aren't supposed to be here, but God knew exactly what he was doing. He closed that door. He worked through that mess. He gave you that opportunity. And even today, he's with you right now. So, Joshua, all things, the providence of God. So, Joshua, let's wrap this up. How about you giving us a challenge? Yeah. We talked about Moses' birth. And, you know, Moses, he went on to go up on Mount Sinai, and there the Ten Commandments were revealed to him. And only one of those came with a promise. It's in Exodus 20. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Whether you like it or not, God used your parents to make you. Honor them. It's what we are commanded to do. Even through their flaws, even through their mistakes, you aren't too busy. Call your mom, call your dad, remember them. I think anyone in here who's lost a parent can tell you how much they wish they could have just one more conversation. When's the last time you thanked your parents for just simply putting up with you? If you're like me, we can be a little difficult sometimes. And then there's some of you who didn't have present moms or dads, and it's not too late to make it right. Thank God for the mentors he put in your life, who stepped in, who filled in that gap. Go thank someone who's poured in to you. You're here today, and many of us, it's only because the people who have invested in, loved us, and poured into us. Moses was born to a slave, and we're still talking about him today. There's no telling what God can do through you. So that's our story. One story within the greater redemptive story of God Almighty. We could tell much more. We've experienced so many God moments. Oh, our family's larger, it's messier than ever, but it's more beautiful than ever, too. It's not been easy, but it's been good. Looking back, we can see God's tender hand of providence. So what's your story? I challenge you to look back today and trace the hand of God in your life. Find those grace moments and celebrate and worship God Almighty. So, here is a place of hope. We are a people that believe that God can trans.
transformed life. And this may be the day that you meet Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This may be a day when your story begins to realize redemption in the present tense. Come now to Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Almighty God, precious Lord and tender spirit, we thank you for the redemptive story that you are writing throughout human history. We thank you for your providence that guides us. We thank you that we can look back in retrospect and trace your hand. And we thank you that we can face the unknown future because you erupted from the grave and thereby we have hope. So Lord, today, lead those to a personal relationship with you. Just give us Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.